Anda. From the fish-filled Midwest lakes to the deep woods of the north, upland prairies filled with pheasants to the whistling wings of duck ponds, this is Saturday Morning Fan Outdoors, your show for hunting and fishing tips, topics, and conversations. You can also send us a question or opinion by emailing us, booth at kfan.com. Here's your host, the fans, Captain Billy Hildebrand. How about a beer? Well, it's way too cold for that at this hour in the morning, but Tony Landry has something on his mind constantly, and that's okay. That's all right. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, we got a about a 30-second head start today, so what do you think of that? 25 seconds after the hour of 6 o'clock on a, well... The cold is getting kind of cold. I don't know. I mean, it's it's cold. I'm tired of it. That's all I can say. But it's. Uh, I think it's short-lived as far as running its course because the forecast tomorrow, 29 degrees. Although this morning, you know, I had I had visions of getting up and. We'd uh, we'd be on the show together and packing up and going to the lake and wanted to get out and chase some fish. Well, I looked at my phone and it said 15 below, and I I don't know, that's ah, awful cold. I got in the car and backed out of the garage, and it takes about a mile for the thermometer to catch up on the dash. So it just kept going. It got to... 12, 13, 16, 17, and it kind of hovered around 17, 18 degrees below zero. And I thought, wow, that's cold. You know, and I'm driving through from the northern suburbs, and so it's pretty open in places, and it's, you know, filled with deer and turkeys and corn on the cob in the summertime when it gets, you know, it's, uh, it's just... Uh, it's not all built up yet, but it's coming. And I looked, 18 degrees below. I get closer into closer to Brooklyn Park, and I look down at the dash or over at the dash. It was 10 degrees. I couldn't believe that. I don't think I've ever seen a temperature difference quite like that. So wherever you are, Whatever you're doing, it's probably if you're listening and you're still kind of wrapped up in something warm or you're throwing a log on the fire and sitting down and relaxing with a cup of coffee, hang in there because it'll be a good day for that. Sit back, watch some football, and maybe we'll find out who the Vikes are going to play next week, and it's all good. Uh, If I jump around, well, the coldest I found, if you're up in the Brainerd Lakes area, Yeehaw, you got 22 below zero. That's definitely a pull-up-the-covers kind of a deal. But today, it's uh, the southeast wind. If you are going to brave it and go out into the ice or onto the ice, 10 to 20 miles an hour, southeast wind. So uh, button down the hatches, put your back against the wind or whatever you're going to do. And we have been making ice for two weeks, so that's okay. 
We are bobless this morning. Bob is, uh, he's caught a bug, and it's the flu bug, and it ain't no fun. I've been there Christmas Day. I came down with it, my wife, about four days later, and everybody at her work has got it, and Bob uh, got it a couple days ago, and it's uh, it's nasty stuff. I mean, I I was just flat on my back, and as Bob said, there's a, uh, and I hadn't, I hadn't uh, in this, and I hadn't uh, had an issue with throw up for a lot, a lot of years, and do oh, my goodness gracious. So, you take care of yourself, wash your hands. My wife is always chiming and chiding me about not doing that. So there's, uh, you can do some things to take care of yourself. If you want to give us a call, you certainly can, 651-989-5326. Locally, 800-320-5326. If you're in Bemidji, Brainerd, Ely, Fargo, Grand Forks, Duluth, all those places, Rochester, um, just uh, you can give us a call. You're welcome. Or shoot us an email at booth at kfan.com, and the Bradshaw and Brian inbox is open. I'd love to see... I'd love to find out again if people have been on the ice, how much ice they've got, and what parts of the state, and maybe what lake you're on. I'd, I, I would love to know. I, I, in fact, that the later on in the show, we're going to jump to a couple of bait shops that I know very well, and uh, talk to them a little bit about the bite and the ice conditions. It's got to be making ice. I mean, it's got to have been making ice. I think one of the issues is it's been so cold. And now the ice is going to its going to warm up. The temps are going to warm up, and the ice is going to heave. We're going to have some issues with that. So do be careful, and if you've got plowed roads around, uh, still stay on the roads. Be very careful. And one of the things that, you know, it just briefly, and I, well, I'll see if we can find an answer to this. I know that on some of the big lakes, resorts plow roads, and they claim the roads for themselves. And I, I really think... Well, maybe somebody can help me with this, but I really think that that's illegal. I mean, if you own property up on a lakeshore, you control the property and who goes in and out of the access unless it's a public access. But as far as roads on a public lake, and it gets pretty, it gets pretty nasty out there, I'm told. Uh, lake of the Woods, Mille Lacs Lake, some of the big lakes, and I, I understand that the resorts are plowing the roads and they're the ones maintaining them, putting the bridges out. But it's, I just don't think that's legal. I think if somebody pushed it, they would, uh, there would be a legal issue here that somebody could press. And I'm not an attorney by any stretch of the imagination, but I just think that yeah, there is something to say about that. One other topic I want to uh, broach just a little bit before we get into our day, because Scott Siebert are, is our clam guest, and we're going to go all the way up to Northwest Angle with Scott and uh, talk to him about that. But before we get there, there is another deer hunt that takes place beginning today. Yep, takes place today, January 6th, and it runs through the 14th. And it's a hunt down in southeastern Minnesota, and you can find the map uh, of the area that it's open to hunting, to deer hunting, on the Minnesota DNR website. 
and you can see most of it is private land. But if you know somebody down there, you have access to it, uh, it might be an opportunity, especially tomorrow as the weather warms up and some of these critters are going to start moving around. But it's the chronic wasting disease zone. And we've talked about this quite a bit here on the, on the show. And we do it because it's important. Uh, it's important because Minnesota is really trying hard to curtail this and keep it contained. Because if it gets out into the general population and spreads, it's going to be an absolute disaster for our deer population and our wild deer herd. Where it came from, I have my personal suspicions, but you know, it's not been uh, it's not been proven without a without a doubt yet. But Wisconsin, they have let that cat out of the bag, and they're still trying to do some things with it. But very honestly, there's not much they can do. Michigan is concerned. New York is concerned. Texas is concerned. And it's it's not what some of these deer farms would like you to believe. It's not that you get a super deer and it's resistant to it, this, that, and the other thing. So there is a special hunt, and the idea behind it is to try to lower the deer density in that area. Along with that, they are checking each animal for chronic wasting disease. And in a best-case scenario, as Dr. Lou Cornicelli has told us a couple of times from the DNR, Lou has said that the good thing is if we find a few of them, and we find fewer each year, but it has moved out a ways, and there is some concern about it. Now, was that a, a satellite young male moving out? They don't know. So the hunt goes begins today, but what you need to know is the carcass of the deer cannot leave the chronic wasting disease zone, but the meat can, okay? And hunters are, if you get one, and the licenses are $2.50, or if you've got a tag that's not filled yet, that's legal too, and you can buy as many tags as you want, you can shoot as many deer as you want, but you've got to leave the carcass in the zone with the DNR folks. And hunters are asked to quarter their deer and take the meat home. And that can be on the legs and the back straps. Basically, you're taking off all four legs and and uh, those quarters and also taking the back straps out of it. But then you can leave the whole carcass behind. DNR people will test it, take the, the lymph nodes, and they will send the results in. Now, it's not a, it's not a meat... It, it, they aren't checking for your meat, but if um, as far as if it's safe to eat or not, it's not a food safety test. But they will check it, and you will be able to find out if the deer tests positive for CWD. Now, the tests in the past, they've been able to guarantee a three to five business day turnaround for the results, but that doesn't happen anymore because the company that makes the testing kits have been inundated with tests, with kits being sold they don't have anymore, so it's going to take longer. So be patient. And there's a whole section on the DNR's website about that too. So you can't take the carcass out of the zone. Why? Because that could could actually spread CWD. You bring a carcass out of the zone, you dump it on the roadside where you put whatever, 
too many idiots are dumping it on the roadside. But anyway, you dump it. Another deer comes up and just smells it. They can get CWD with these prions. So the hunt is going on if you're interested. And if you've got a, a gun license, a firearm license, you can shoot a firearm. If you've got a bow license that hasn't been uh, used yet, a tag that hasn't been used, you can use a bow, but you can't use a gun with a bow license. You can go buy a tag for $2.50. So it's uh, the disease management tag. So you can do that, and very honestly, it's cheap, and I love venison. I had venison for breakfast yesterday, so um, I absolutely love it. And anyway, what we're going to do today, we're going to talk with Scott Siebert from Clam. Pretty quick, right around the corner, he's been had some neat trips. And you know, it's 17 below zero. How do you plan? Well... It takes me a long time to get ready because I want to be sure everything is set to go. But your equipment, it's going to break down, it's going to bust, all kinds of things happen. We'll talk to Scott about that too. Then we've got a special guest coming up and I'm looking forward to talking with him. I've known this man for a long time. He uh, he does a wonderful job on a microphone emceeing events and he does an awful lot of walleye events. He's from Leech Lake, so we'll talk to him about the Leech Lake area, some tips some tricks, some techniques that he will share with us and who he is. Well, he would be Mr. Chip Lear. And uh, then we're going to jump out, as I said, we'll ca- we'll tap with Tackle. So we're going to jump up to some bait shops and talk with them about what's going on. So maybe we can help you make plans for the weekend. I can hardly wait, I'm just telling you. Jeez, everything's in my truck. I'm ready to rock and roll, except the bait. But I've, I bought some new stuff, too. I'm a stuff junkie when it comes to tackle. That hasn't changed. Been that way for 30 years. So we'll take a pause. We'll be back with Mr. Scott Siebert, elite pro staff member of Clam and Clam Outdoors. We'll be right back. This is Fan Outdoors. What's happening? Welcome back to Fan Outdoors. Time now for our weekly Clam Trap Talk. Now, along with a Clam Outdoors pro, here's the captain... Billy Hildebrand. Well, this week we get an opportunity to talk with another of the Clam Elite Pro staff members, and each week is pretty special because we uh, we are able to glean information that very few people can get. So this week is absolutely no exception because we are joined by Scott Siebert and uh, Scott. Good morning. Good morning from the balmy Hackensack, Minnesota area. That's 26 below. 26 below, <laughs> my God. <laughs> you know, I, I was just telling Tony that I was listening as my drive-in. I was listening to these guys on before us, and one's from New York, sitting out in New York, and one's in, I don't know, L.A. or someplace or Phoenix. But the guy in New York was saying, it's so cold. It's so cold. I can't believe it. It's just awful. I mean, it's just incredibly cold. It's almost two degrees below or above zero. And I thought, gee, when Christmas, come on, man. But yeah. Uh, anyway, hey, I, when we just text back and forth a little bit, you've been on the move doing some fishing. Yeah, I've been up here um, the last 11 days now. So um, it's uh, been a good 11 days other than the cold but uh, you you make do with what you got well speaking of cold before we start start uh, looking at your travels how do you you know at 26 below zero 
it's a great time for things not to work and things to break because inevitably if it can go wrong it does and it don't work and it's that's cold how do you get yeah, ready it um we we did have that issue is uh you know trying to get everything to work but uh, the number one thing that uh the heat you know staying uh staying warm um one thing, you know, with our Mr. Heaters, I, I did keep them in the house, keep a bottle of propane in my coat as I'm traveling out in this cold weather just to make sure I have a warm bottle of propane so my propane didn't freeze. And that does freeze, doesn't it, Scott? Yeah, it does. Uh, that's Yeah, that don't sound good. Um, and, and a lot of guys I know use 20-pounders and they keep them outside, but that's uh, kind of a recipe for freezing. Exactly. Yeah. Usually they do freeze up. Actually, we, you know, uh, was at Red Lake yesterday, went up there 21 below and we left 22 uh, below and we left the lake. And uh, there's a couple of ice houses sitting up on shore with another propane tank trying to heat up their tanks to get them big tanks unthawed. When uh, you get out there and it gets that cold, is there some concern about the ice and, and uh, it breaking or being brittle? I think that separate, you, get, you know, watch your cracks. Um, I think it separates more when it's this cold like uh, we've had out here. Uh, I know that in your travels, one of your travels was up to the Northwest Angle. I've heard stories about it, never been there, but it sounds like a wonderful trip. Was it? It was. Um, this is my second year of being up there. Uh, we stayed at Sunset Lodge, and you know, last year focused on just walleye fishing. And then we talked, well, this year we want to do some crappie fishing, and we took a 15-mile snowmobile ride into Canada and um, got into some really nice crappies. It was a trip that was well worth it. When you get into Canada, I mean, obviously you're not going to go through customs. Is there an issue with that, or how do you do that? When you when you do get up into Canada, you get up uh, at the Northwest Angle, they got call-in boxes that you got to do the call-in. Um, that uh, you're going back into Canada or back out of the U.S., whatever. Huh? How much uh, how much traffic do you have? I mean, it's that uh, that trip has got to be a popular trip with people. It is. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people. Um, they go up there, and, and what they do is they use their bombardiers. You know, they just have the resorts take them in and out of the fish houses. Oh, where where our travels um, on the Articat Bearcat snowmobiles. Um, you know, that's that's our. Way to, we like to travel as being mobile uh-huh. and uh, moving around. Um, unfortunately, with this uh, cold weather that we had, um, we did rent a house. So they do have some hard houses you can rent. So people that don't, uh, you know, they don't have the snowmobiles, don't have the accessibility of moving around like we do, um, you can get out there um, by the resorts. Are those uh, sleepers? I uh, know they're uh, they're just day houses. A lot of them are day houses up in that area. Okay, Scott Siebert is our guest from Clam and Clam Outdoors, a pro staff member. Uh, Scott, when you are going up there and you're fishing crappies versus the walleyes, how do things change? Um, usually, fishing the deeper water, uh, looking for them uh, deep holes off points. Like what we found was thirty feet of water was the magic depth this uh, last uh, week when we were up there. Now, are you- crappies. <clears throat> Go ahead. I say this, the, the deep deep holes off points is what we are focusing on. Now, use your electronics and find the fish down in the deep holes and just assume that they are crappies then? Um, you know, yeah, we do. We, You know, using the electronics really helps. Um, what I found with, with crappies, normally, you know, your fish around here, you always say three, four, five feet off the bottom, you're getting your crappies. Well, these crappies were tight to the bottom. 
Hmm. So you you worked them right off the bottom. Um, I did mark some fish up higher. Oh, great! Here here we found some crappies. Well, they ended up being whitefish. Uh, they were they were up in that suspended area. What do you use to catch them with, Scott? Um, what I was using was the the new um, panfish leech spoon. Okay. And you know, tipping that with maggots. I, I would change it up. I'd have three four rods ready. Um, had a dead stick down with a XL drop jig on it, but then uh, the what uh, also uh, using the uh, snowdrop jig? That was one of my pref- uh, preferred baits with tip with maggots, and then the drop kick number ten red drop kick is my go-to bait for um, catching crappies. Funny white, how uh, white plastic Mackie plastics on that. It's funny how the confidence that a person develops in a particular bait it's based on success, but you have that confidence and you'll fish it until the crows fly home. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, there's a lot of good tackle and stuff out there, but uh, definitely uh, getting that confidence in the bait that you are, you know, you're catching fish on. I, I stick with it. Like I said, I'll have four rods tied up with, you know, two of my rods will probably have a red uh, red uh, drop kick jig on it. <laughs> well, then you, break you, off. you also, uh, yeah, and my problem is my eyes, if it gets a little dark in, the, in my shack, I, Gee, I can't tie that light line to save my soul. It looks like I look like a blind whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Just trying to stab the eye of the hook. Anyway, you were also up at the Red Lake area. How did that change from Northwest Angle? Um, you know, we, we were at Red Lake prior to going to um, the Northwest Angle, but it was good the day after Christmas we were there. Um, again, we left the lake, and it was 28 below. There was another time that... Um, we get together with the better halfs, uh, dad and brother and sister up there. So we rent a house for the day, which, you know, there's, there's great time to be had when you're in these hard houses when it's warm. But, um, we ended up catching 14 walleyes for uh, five of us. Um, and you know, a couple perch. So the, the fishing was pretty decent, um, for the weather that we had, I think, you know, it was, um, pretty good. Well, the red lake is just basically a bowl, isn't it? Yep, and that's, uh, you know, that day we went and uh, just fished out of a house that uh, one out of Hillman's and Buddy set us up in a house. And, yeah, they just, you know, they, they put them basically to spread the houses out. Um, yeah, did the same thing yesterday, but I was actually in my uh, clan portable, uh, two-man, and uh, same thing. We drove out there, and it's like, well, trying to find a spot to go. We were actually four miles out last night out there, and... Um, we caught two fish, and I lost two, and, you know, we've seen probably eight or eight or ten more fish that didn't bite. Now, I have heard, in fact, I think my oldest son was telling me when he was going up there, they actually look for the heaves, the ice heaves, because it gives uh, more of a surface structure that they follow that a lot of the bait fish and some of the food fish and the walleyes follow. Is that something anybody else does? Um, I, I've done that in the past. Um Chasing perch, I've you've done that a lot of times. Chasing perch, I'm sure it works with all species, but uh, you know, I don't know if there's a little extra oxygen that gets in through that crack and stuff that helps. That's you know, kind of one of my thoughts. Yeah, I I've always kind of wondered about that. When you start looking for fish, Scott, how how do you? And I think that's one of the things that people could really use some help with. A lot of people, because the the tendency is to go with a crowd. I mean, mm-hmm. if there's a group over someplace, man, it's like uh, flies on something that's just sitting on the ground. But how do you go about finding fish and looking for fish? 
Well, what obviously the the depth of Navionics. I mean, that makes it so easy on your phone now or your GPS. And you know, I run a Lorance um, Elite Nine on my snowmobile, my Bearcat. So I have that on my dash, so I can follow the contour lines and do different things. But uh, for the walleyes, uh, I, you know, I'm looking for some some type of rock structure or, or gravel or something. You know, relating the fish to where they like to be with the walleyes. Uh, you know, up on the Lake of the Woods there, Northwest Angle. We focused on uh, on rock humps, so um, picking out the picking out the structures on your let's see your phone or um, your your locator. Um, so do you, do you keep your GPS your waypoints? Do you do that ahead of time before you get there? I, I do that, and basically, I'm taking my um, GPS off my boat, so I, I have some starting points. Sometimes, obviously, up at the Northwest Angle, I'm bending my boat, but. A lot of times I save them, so definitely um, it's really important to save some of them waypoints, and that gets you right back to them spots that you caught fish on before if you're going there year to year. Definitely yeah. cuts out some time. It's it's surprising. You know, that a lot of people don't have that, I realize, but it, it it sure makes, especially on the ice, it a whole lot different than just going poking and poking and poking and then uh, keeping to look. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that what really helps is you know we're using these new clam drill plates where we're adding the drill to uh, the drill in our holes. We're using an actual drill with uh, four or five amp batteries, eighteen volt uh, Milwaukee drills. Where I'm using, but I can minimize my holes. I got to drill. Yeah. When, you're, when you don't have that uh, structure map, you know you're you're doing a lot of guessing. So it, I can minimize the holes I drill now too. You know, I I use the K drill also with the clam drill plate on it. And I've been using it for about three, maybe four years now. But it's amazing once you use it, how annoying it gets to listen to a gas auger, especially with dull blades if they're close to you. Oh, yeah, and they're heavy. I, mean, uh, I, I have one in the garage. I haven't used one for myself, but I brought it with when I went to the Northwest Angle, just you know because of the cold weather and the batteries and stuff like that. That's. But I never used it. I just put it on the front of the snowmobile, and I'm glad I didn't have to because it is heavy. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So where to next, Scott? Um, actually, today we are going to actually go over towards the Park Rapids area, chase some bluegills. Um, I've been doing that occasionally um, this past 10 days, but it's just it's so hard to get moving, and it's so cold in the morning. So we try to let it warm up a little bit, and then uh, – get out there in the afternoon and try to catch that evening bite. Last question, Scott. Now that the weather is going to warm up beginning tomorrow, is that going to have an impact on the bite, do you think? Uh, you know what? I think it is. I, I think uh, definitely everything feels. It's hard to believe that them fish can tell when the wind's blowing or whatever underneath that ice. But, I, you know, pressure, all that stuff, I I think it's going to turn them on. I thought it was going to do that yesterday up at Red, but... Uh, I think it's going to be a day, you know, today or probably more like tomorrow, like you're talking, that uh, them officials turn on. Excellent. Hey, Scott, thanks for your time, my friend, and uh, good luck today, and uh, be safe. All right, thanks. You bet. That's Scott Siebert, elite pro staff member for Clam and Clam Outdoors. And Clam is the leading manufacturer when it comes to ice, especially ice shacks. And then you got Dave Genzen there, who was the originator of the portable ice shack and the flip-over shack. In fact, if you stop by the uh, clam out by Rogers, you can see one of the original shacks that Dave made. Um, But we will duck away for a couple of minutes, but we'll be right back because 
We're going to keep ice fishing. We're going to stay on the ice on top of it. Remember, there's no ice that's absolutely safe, okay? Even in 15 below zero or 26 below zero. But we are going to chat with Mr. Chip Lear next. We'll talk Leech Lake and beyond. We're on Fan Outdoors. This is Fan Outdoors. Tell you what, a hot cup of coffee sure does taste good right about this morning. Mufta. I've got a can of Coke in the car, and that's where it's going to stay, but it's going in the house because I made the mistake one time, about 20 below zero, of forgetting it in the truck, and it exploded, and I had the mess of all messes. Never, never again. Let's check with our next guest and see if he has done something uh, equally as uh, as silly as that and as probable or as uh, awful as that, too, because Mr. Chip Lear joins us right now. Chip, have you forgotten something in your car ever that actually froze and exploded? Well, I actually think that I forgot how cold it was, and I went outside. <laughs> and you exploded. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all we've all left a container of something in the vehicle and and had it freeze. I, I had a buddy stop by my house a couple of weeks ago, um, New Year's week New Year's weekend, and uh, he was literally at my house a couple of hours. It wasn't he wasn't there very long. Anyway, he went to leave, but he called me on the way home because he had a, a diet coke in his console and literally froze. In the two hours he had stopped by. Oh, don't tell me that because mine's sitting on top. I don't want it to freeze. I got to get back down there. I might have to run down there in a break. Um, <laughs> hey, I know that you're not up in the Leech area. You are, well, you're someplace in a metropolitan area, aren't you? I am uh, over in Wisconsin Dells right now, actually. I, it is uh, an annual event. Uh, it, it's it's really interesting if you're if you're into the fishing and into the fishing industry and the business side of things it can be quite a quite enlightening weekend. This is the National Professional Anglers Association conference. Uh, every year they hold it in a different location. This year we happen to be at Wisconsin Dells, but it is uh, it, it's fun. There's tournament anglers, fishing guides, uh, college fishing teams, high school fishing teams people from all across North America that are, are pursuing the sport on the business side, the angling side, the product development side. It's a, it, it, it's, it's really a fun, fun event because you get to meet so many people and, and see so many different uh, sides of the business. Uh, is, Chip, is that, has that number grown in the past few years? Uh, really in the last, uh, there, there used to be a couple of these organizations. There was a PAA that was really large in, in, Pretty much just in the bass side of things. Yeah, NBAA tend, yep, and PA and NBAA tend to be more of a walleye um, organization. And now you now there's one. It's NBAA, and you've seen a you've seen a, a strength of it. I think a big reason that you've watched this growth is partially the college and high school fishing teams mm-hmm. and the interest level that's coming from that age of angler that is looking, you know, not only at fishing and tournament fishing is a pastime and a lifelong 
pastime and a sport and, and fun, but as, hey, you know, maybe, just maybe, this is something that I want, you know, I want to pursue as a career, because there's some great careers in this industry. And I think that's something that people don't realize, Chip, because it's not just with a rod and reel in your hand. There's a, there is a, a plethora of of activities and things that can make people uh, a lifelong career. Yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the common denominator, and that's what makes an event like where I'm at right now so much fun, is that everybody's here because they're passionate about the sport. I mean, we all, you know, you don't, you know, you don't go fishing because you have to. You know, you yeah. don't. <laughs> we don't. Uh, you know, nobody's forcing it upon you. We do it because we we love the sport. We like to learn about the sport, and and I think the industry is, is big, but it is not so big that people are in it for the money. The real growth of this business and in, inside of the, what what makes fishing tick, from you know, lure development, uh, uh, you know, rods, reels, boats, motors. It doesn't make any difference. The passionate angler is at the core of the development and the expansion of all those products. There are a lot of accountants and other people who make things happen, but it is the passionate angler that drives the core of this business. Chip, if we move over to the season at hand on the uh, with below zero temperatures, it's obviously not soft water, but it would be hard water. And I'm guessing up in the Leech Lake area. You have uh, Leach has been making ice, and it's good ice now too, with the limited amount of snow we've got, and also the uh, the cold temperatures. Is that accurate? Uh, absolutely. You've, you've got you know Scott uh, Sieber, who you just had on. I mean, he's there right in the in the neighborhood in Hackensack. He's real close to to Leach Lake, and we've had a lot of cold weather. I think one thing that's really interesting and just ice pack, you know, or, or ice formation that, that has made this. 2017 18 winter really unique is the varying way that we formed ice i mean we, there, there was areas that iced up early there was other areas of lakes that that took what seemingly an incredibly long time to actually form so we're looking at you know like leech lake is, is a really good example of that i mean there's there's areas of the lake that have 22 inches and there's other areas of the lake that only have 12 now all of that is a lot of ice and it's in really good shape but it's a good indication that there are different, you know, different uh, ice slabs, so to speak. Um, so as it is formed at different rates at different times, and I think, and that's true in a lot, even in some of the mid-sized lakes. So as we go through the winter, and especially like where, where I'm going with all this, uh, Captain, is that as things change, because what we have now is that we've set up with the ice that we have, but we have a warming trend coming. And what's going to happen is every time there's a different slab, that's a potential ice heave or a potential danger area as we go through the, the rest of the winter. And I think that's that's the kind of stuff we're going to see crop up now as, as things warm up. And I, I was reading some things yesterday online, and that was the concern that it was had with the warm weather coming or warmer weather coming. It's, well, it is pretty balmy, but if you're getting up to 38 degrees, and my goodness, that's short weather. Um, but it is going to change, and that's one of the things that people need to think about. Are, when it does change like that, Chip, what what happens to the fish? Um, well, I think that the I don't know if the ice conditions uh, affect the fish near as much as the weather conditions do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think uh, certainly, a, you know, we're going to see an increase in a bite for for a couple of different reasons as we go through the warming trend. I mean, I, I just think that the the pressure change, and anytime we have a have a change, change uh, spikes air. You know, we'll make 
activity or, or a prod session to activity, let's put it that way. I think that you, you watch a little bit of activity take place that way. I think the biggest difference we're going to see is that anglers are going to be able to get more places. I mean, yeah. so far this winter, I cannot remember a winter where I have spent more time just huddled down into one little spot, one shack. I'll get to where I'm going to go, and I'm, you know, I'm I, I'm not uh, nearly as mobile as I want to be or as active as I want to be, and I'm not good in one place. Uh, you know me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really I don't sit still very well. So if I'm not catching fish, I want to move. And, and unfortunately, the weather has not allowed that too much. And with the cold, extremely cold weather, we were talking to Scott about it too, but that's when things break also. And it's probably me more than anything, but just like you, I, when it gets this cold, I mean, it's, it's cold. It's just <laughs> cold. <laughs> Well, you know, things are way better than they used to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's you know, you're not seeing things break break like they used to. But uh, and and even you know, with the onslaught of electric augers and and technology and and lithium batteries and all this stuff, for I mean, we used to get out there. I mean, there were days that you couldn't get through a sonar battery, right? Well, first of all, there were days without sonar, but that's way back. Yeah. But Seriously, you know, you, you used to zap through batteries really quickly, and or or you know, you'd flood your auger and you couldn't get it started, couldn't get it started, couldn't get it started, and that kind of stuff happened with with uh, the onslaught of the of electric. You, you don't see that near as much. So uh, things are lighter, they're more efficient, their you know, mobility is better, but still, it comes down to staying warm. Um, that's because that that's a number one in the world of ice. Well, two things: one, safety is always comes first, no matter what you do, and then you got to stay warm to make it fun. Chip, the advent of wheelhouses is quite a phenomenon. It's opened up the world of ice fishing to a whole different realm of individuals, and I'm, I'm sure that Leech Lake is absolutely no exception to that. Uh, there's, uh, it's it's wonderful to see. I think um, I think what the wheelhouse has done is taken ice fishing from, you know, when I got into this, uh, you know, I started as a uh, as a fishing guide back in 1988, um, and what you know, ice fishing was generally all men, all you know, a lot of uh, guys that had seasonal work uh, that had time off in the winter to be pursue it. Um, and it was, that's pretty much what it was. And then now I think with the wheelhouse, especially is it's gone from, uh, you know, a bunch of guys on a weekend to, to families and people of all ages pursuing fish. Now they, you know, and using the, the hard house as either a base camp or just a place to hang out for the weekend. And that's, I, I think it's wonderful. I think this caused two things. One, I think everything's gotten nicer and better because the, you know, the demands of that demographic have forced the manufacturers to provide a little bit more luxury and i think that's that's made things just that much more comfortable on the ice you know that's the good news the 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 challenging news is everybody wants you know 18 inch ice uh, so they can get their uh, suburban and tandem axle field house uh, fish house on the lake uh, quicker so they we found ourselves pushing the limits to get the thicker ice quicker yeah i i agree and, and like the last year where we didn't get that thick ice quick it was uh, then it gets to be very scary and it was scary earlier this year i think that minnesota has more de- ice deaths or deaths re- related to ice or blamed on ice conditions this year than they have in the last two or three combined so, yeah but you know what ice fishing is still it, it's i i love it i'm i'm, I'm a big fan um uh, i like it because of the fact that 
unlike in the summer where I can I have to limit uh, how many people I go fishing with in the boat. Um, and on ice fishing, if, if you know two more people want to go, great. Two more, four more people want to go, great. You combine efforts, get a group together, and especially you know the days are shorter, so you've got less time to find the fish. And if you put together a game plan and, and working as a team is one of the things that I enjoy most uh, about fishing with a group of people on the ice is you can put together some sort of plan and and find fish that much quicker you know because it's harder to cover you know big flats especially like on areas like Leech Lake on Sandpoint or or out in the basin where where these fish will scatter out um, over a wide area if you've got a number of bodies and you can spread out you can um, you can find you, know, you find the fish that much faster. It's really hard to do. You know, it's really hard to find fish through the ice on your own when you're alone. That's that's really hard. Uh, Chip, you know, I, I fished a long time, but with the seasons that we have, and it's something I I cherish. But I had forgotten from last year to this year how much fun, just flat out fun, ice fishing really is, and the cat and mouse game that is played. Uh, with the electronics, it's incredible, and it's it's mesmerizing, and the time absolutely flies when you're sitting there and just concentrating on a hole in the little red lights. Well, I know for a fact that I am a better jig fisherman because of ice fishing and underwater cameras. I I, I believe that wholeheartedly uh, because I. I, I visualize when I'm in a boat in the summer and I'm either casting a jig or, or, or vertically jigging and it doesn't make a difference if it's bass, walleyes or what have you. I am, I always try to visualize what that bait is doing, but what I've learned in how my, uh, arm or wrist movements, how they affect my jigs in the, uh, wintertime, that I utilize that in the summertime and I think I've got, I think I'm, I'm more, certainly more confident, but I, I know that it's, improved my my fish catch ratio because of what i'm able to do with the jig from what i've learned staring uh staring at an underwater camera watching my jig that way and and, and watching a fish's reaction to it uh, chip can you stay with us through a pause for another segment would love to excellent our guest is mr chip lear uh from the leech lake area on our return we're going to talk about techniques we're going to talk tackle colors and all things ice fishing chip is uh he works closely with Northland Tackle, who is a, a leader in the ice fishing and open water fishing industry tackle side. And they have they've been around a long time, but especially on the ice, they're awesome. And we'll find out what's new for Northland from Chip, but it'll also take you down a road that hopefully is going to help you catch some more fish. Hold on, Mr. Chip Lear will be back with us. We will take a very brief pause and be back with more Fan Outdoors right after this. This is Fan Outdoors. About three minutes before the hour of 7 o'clock on a Fan Outdoors Saturday morning. Have you plans? I hope your plans include staying warm. 
I think we're right on the edge of warming up as far as this cold spot, this cold snap goes, and that's okay. We are Bob St. Pierre-less this morning because he is fighting the flu, and hopefully he's winning the battle because uh, I've been there, done it, it ain't no fun. I'm just telling you that. Our guest is Mr. Chip Lear from the Leech Lake area, and he has been gracious enough and patient enough to hold through a pause, so we welcome him back into the conversation. Uh, Chip, when we're when we're talking about tackle and we're talking about techniques and that, how has that changed over the years from what we've done to what we do? I think we've been we've been uh, in the past. I mean, we've always dealt with whatever we have were provided and, and made do with what we could. And now, um, with what we've seen happen in the world of tackle, is that it's both open water and ice. We've uh, we've refined the bite. Uh, we refined tackle to to find the perfect lure, jig, rig for whatever situation we encounter. I mean, that's what you got to, what I think about when I walk through a tackle store and, and see things that I, I have never seen before or don't understand or may look a little weird is they ended up there because somewhere, somehow, that's really good at doing something. It, yeah. it did, you know, it's too competitive to get to the retail floor. So to get there, it had to do something. Um, so it's, it's earned its stripes to get there. Now the question is, is that applicable to where you fish? That's the big question, you know. And if you're like me, well, maybe someday. So you buy it, and then you end up with three garages full of tackle that you don't know what you're going to do with. But doggone it, it's really cool and it's fun to play with. <laughs> Chip, I'm guilty of that, and I think most every angler is. And not only do I have to have one, but I'd better have at least two just in case. Well, I, uh, there could there could be a need for some sort of twelve uh, step program for. Uh, for <laughs> For lure addicts, because I'm right there. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I carried uh, I carried some Sankos in my boat that were, you know, they had to be about 12 inches long for years and years because somebody... I have, I have those. Yeah, see? And one day, I just picked one up and I threw it out and, and I had them for at least 10 years and never caught a fish on them. I picked one up and threw it out, and Katie barred the door. I thought that the whole world opened up, and for about two hours, it was so much fun, and I've never caught a fish on them since. <laughs> I ended up cutting mine in two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little like throwing a hatchet or an axe out after it when they hit the water. <laughs> um, hey, I know that I know you work with Northland Tackle closely, and... What are some of the new things that Northland has brought out this year that, in your opinion, are extremely successful and things that other anglers should really look at having? Well, I think that uh, ice ice wise, I'll give you the I'll give you I'll give you I'll give you as much as you want, but ice wise, the glow shot spoon is really innovative. I've been working on and helped develop that one the last couple of years and played with played with glow. Um, and what the glow shot spoon is, is it's, it's their flutter spoon, uh, but it actually has a little glow stick that you can crack and shake, and it's just like that uh, that glow necklace or whatever you'd see on the 4th of July or at any festive oh, yeah. party. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it goes inside there, and, it, and you click it into the, into the spoon itself, and it actually glows, so you don't have to you know, charge the paint with light and let it glow. 
goal shot is incredibly effective. Um, and what I've learned with goal shot is, is as much of the time as there is, and, and the same lesson you learned with your Senko, right? There's a time that fish really react well to bright glow, and there's other times that they don't really want it when it's glowing really bright. That's what I learned on that project. Um, is that there's just like there's a time to rattle and there's a time for for not to rattle. Uh, noise isn't always your best option. There's certain things we think get the fish's attention, and there's other times you want to tone that down. And the goal shot spoon, you can use it as a regular flutter spoon. It's very effective, uh, but in low light, dark water, um, and certainly at prime time, if you click that uh, goal stick and, and snap it in, it's an incredibly effective tool. Uh, the big, the biggest thing I've learned in all ice tackle though is, is the drop rate is drop rate is absolutely wholeheartedly key to a fish's activity. The more aggressive the fish are, the faster you can fish and the faster you can use a drop rate. Um, and the, the the less aggressive fish are, usually uh, slower drop rate entices some little few more bites. Chip, I think that the the challenge for me anyway, and for a lot of anglers, is when they're really aggressive, they're they're really aggressive, but that sometimes doesn't last real long, and they change their moods. And it's keying on that and being able to transition to something else without wasting hours and hours and being frustrated that they're just not biting anymore. Well, and the, the key to ice, and, and successful ice fishermen do this, um, and it was kind of like uh, uh, what your uh, Scott Sieber talked about a little earlier was, you know, getting himself prepared all day long for prime time, right? And, yeah. You know, it's a little colder. You know, your your windows of opportunity in ice are much shorter in duration. So take the time. Don't rush out to the ice. Take a little extra time in your garage. Get everything together. Get your rigs together. Maybe rig up more than one rod. Have things in order so that when you get a and when you get a, a half an hour, forty five minute bite window that takes place. That you are, you're ready to capitalize on that, and that you can, you're going up and down and jumping on the fish, literally as fast as you can go, and that that's a real key uh, versus having to stop, retie, think about what to put on. You know, a lot of times it's like a it's like an offensive coordinator in football. I will I will pre-choose my lures to what I want, when I want, and go out there, and I may call the first three or four lures, and if that doesn't work, then I may audible. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I know what I'm going to do before I get to the, the spot for the most part. I've got some sort of history, or at least I understand whether it's clear water, dark water, what the lake is set up. You know, you got to, you got to kind of assemble that plan before you get there so that when it does all come together, you're ready to score. Well, if, you know, how do you put to, how do you get to the ability, get to the point of the ability of making a plan? And it's got to be more experience and reading and, and things like that. But, it just time on the ice, I think, is so crucial, don't you? I, well, I think, yeah, your personal history weighs more than anything else. There's, there's no doubt about that. But I, I am, I'm a little old school. I will, um, I, I've got a whiteboard in my, my garage, and I will, and I do this open water too. And maybe, maybe I'm strange. I don't, well, don't go there, please. <laughs> I won't. But, I won't. <laughs> but, um, but what I will do is, is I will, I will play out a day or on a lake in my head and I will make, I will jot myself my own little, uh, chicken scratch notes of, okay, so I'm going to go do this and I'm probably going to throw this, uh, or, you know, in ice fishing, I may drop this lure, um, and I'm going to do this here, here, and here. And if that doesn't work, then I'm probably going to go here, here, here and do these things. 
And it really comes down, those decisions are based ahead of time, whether it's personal experience or um, a little bit of research. And, when, and you know, whether it's on the Internet or it's through a bait shop or however I got that information, I've come to, you know, come to a conclusion. And there are generalities between dark water, clear water, shallow water, deep water, all those kind of things that come into play. And that's, that's the fun part about fishing is, is uh, the more people you talk to, the more you learn, the more of those little nuggets you put back in the head, that's when you can make slight audible adjustments on site, right? And you can, you can adjust the playbook uh, when you get out in the field and tweak it to what, how the fish are reacting to what you're doing. That's, that's when you, you really succeed. Chip, I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face thinking back on my open water tournament days, and I'd make just such a plan as you described. And I'd have it dialed right in, and I'd go through that, and all of a sudden I'd go through the plan that's supposed to take me a day, and it's about 11 o'clock in the morning, and I've got nothing. I mean, I got no plan. I'm, I'm done with my plan. I got nowhere to go. I don't know what the heck I'm going to do, and I just kind of scratch my head and start throwing axes again out into the water. That's when that's when you hail Mary. Yeah, right? that's it. <laughs> it's kind of... And you know what? Sometimes and sometimes that works. Or in the world of ice and, and fishing, if you're not in a tournament, I mean, uh, you you can go to the next lake and uh, you know you just pick up and go to another body and, and a body of water, and you may have a, have a different reaction. Um, well, I'm listening to one of the masters today. I'm so excited because I get the, the Kevin Van Dam is here to give a talk at the National Professional Anglers cool. Association, and I'm, I am I I can't wait to hear him talk about how he attacks a day, uh, a tournament day. I think I know. I've watched him a lot. I've never heard him actually talk about this. So this will be really fun. Yeah. I mean, that's that's priceless stuff. Uh, but when uh, one of the things I learned last summer as I discovered walleyes, Chip, was each day I could stay on the fish, but they moved. And I used to be of the opinion that, they would be there waiting when I got there. And that was sometimes the case, but very seldom. And even an old guy like me, the learning curve was so steep that I I, I looked for them and found them often two, three hundred yards away. But they were there. I just it, the the challenge for me was to do that. And that's tougher on the ice. It's it's a lot tougher on the ice. Um and what you see happen is, you know, you talk about Leech Lake, um, and and one of the things that does happen a lot on Leech Lake is structure uh, fishing, where, you know, unlike Red Lake and Lake of the Woods that are all basin fish, leech, leeches uh, can be really structure fishing when it comes to, to walleyes. And you'll watch those walleyes will move off the structure. Usually they move out and away from the structure, and then when they feed, they come into the structure. So you're fishing... You know, you're fishing like you're deer hunting, where they're where they're coming in to feed. You just wait for them to get there, and that's what we talked about. Short orders of bites. You're going to get those fish to move in there, and they're going to bite for half an hour, and then that's it. So you're you know you've got three hours on the ice, and you know it all came down to about 45 minutes, maybe an hour tops of action. Yeah, I, I agree. When when we're talking baits and tackle again, Chip, colors are something that generates an awful lot of conversation among fishing circles. What's your thought on color? Um, it's down the, it's down the list. It's a trigger. You know, I, I look at all lures in, in three different ways. I look at them, how they attract fish, how they tease fish, you know, keep their interest and how in a, in a triggering mechanism, the color for me is, is, uh, 
is is one of the things that I think can really be a a trigger. The the right and and you'll notice that uh, whether you're a bass fisherman or a walleye fisherman or perch fisherman by the intensity that they strike. Um, and if you pay attention to whether they're hitting it hard or if it's you know, way down their throat versus partially in their throat, um, you know, color can color can be key on that. I think action trumps it. It's what it's doing um, that is that is more important than color. But it uh, but it certainly is part of the puzzle. It's just further down my list. Well, when you would uh, one of the things I think you mentioned, Chip, is key, and that is when you do catch a fish, note how they did take the bait because that will give i think it'll give you some idea about the aggressive or lack of aggressive attitude without without question if uh you know if obviously if it's way in their throat they really like what you're doing not a reason to change anything if they're if they're barely nipping it and and we go back to underwater cameras you watch them if they put their lips around it and don't quite eat the whole thing there's something that's that's not getting them to fully commit, and you got to tweak it a little bit and, and figure it out. And that's again, that's that's the fun part. That's where verbalization between anglers is really key. If you're out there with three or four people, openly tell everybody what's happening all the time, um, and you guys, and, and you'll you'll solve the riddle quicker as a group than you ever will by yourself. And I saw that in in action, Chip, when we were out uh, a few years ago out in Devil's Lake with the Perch Patrol because the guys communicate so well to keep their clients uh, successful. And I think the uh, the clam guys do the same type of thing often. But people can do that easily with their networking and using social media. And and the, the one cog that always irritated me was the, the people that lied to you. And you believe them, and you were given honest truth, and that that was just kind of a petting my dog the wrong way. Yeah, that's you need you need your own little circle, um, and it's uh, and, and, and you'll find it. You know, you just you just you, you're going to meet some people, and you got you got to understand that not everybody tells the entire truth about fishing. Um, so you've got to you got to decipher through some of that. But for the most part. For the most part, people want other people to catch fish and have fun with it, and that's uh, you'll find you'll find your right circle. You just gotta keep talking. When you're talking Leech Lake and up in your part of the woods, Chip Lear is our guest, by the way. And and when you're going out on Leech, what are some of the things that are hot on Leech, and what's going on right now, the best of your knowledge? Um, well, there's there's been a couple of things going on. The the South Shore has been good. Uh, the rocky areas uh, out. That whole South Shore has got a number of, of rock humps, and if you're down there, I know that uh, anywhere from oh gosh, maybe 15, but probably 20, 25 feet is probably key in the South Shore. Walker Bay, um, you know, has had the walleyes have been. That's where the walleyes have showed up. It's definitely a morning and evening uh, bite on those. And the same with the the humps in Walker Bay. Our walleye bite is is really uh, twilight oriented, so those humps. 30, 40, even 50 feet in, in Walker Bay are producing fish. Uh, good numbers of walleyes, actually. They're just a little bit smaller. You know, we get the big fish right away, and now we're kind of getting into some numbers of fish, but they tend to get a little bit smaller as the season goes on on those humps in Walker Bay. Um, that's all gone well. I talked to uh, um, Josh Boulevard, who, who helps run Trapper's Landing on the South Shore there, and, and Trapper's is a nice nice facility. But anyway, make long story short, he just told me, um, they, they had a couple of nice fish come off those rock piles in the South Shore there. 
fact, the other uh, the other night, the shining story is there was there was one guy, one person, I guess, that had five fish over twenty five inches wow. in one night in one of their hard houses. So that's kind of like the. Uh, that's kind of like the, uh, the the best report all winter, and that was uh, I guess that was about ten days ago now, something like that. But pretty nice report. Wow. Well, well, you mentioned fifty feet, and this is something that I've always kind of been curious about because we were on Rush Lake and catching some crappies out of thirty thirty two feet. But when you take a fish out of that depth, oftentimes, the, and you're going to release it, oftentimes that's tough on the fish, isn't it? It's horrible on the fish. Um, this is a common discussion, and I sit on the, the Leech Lake Advisory Committee for with the Minnesota DNR, and that this is a topic that has come up a lot. Um, it's it's great to see all the the everybody excited to go ice fishing, but targeting the walleyes in 50, 60 feet of water, which we end up doing on in in Walker Bay, and if you get on a school of 12 inches and, and you're pulling 12 inches out of 50, 60 feet of water. You can release them, and they may dart down the hole, but you're, you know, they're not all making it. You know, they're, they're, uh, so unfortunately, and I don't have a resolve to that, but it's something you got to be aware of. That if, like myself, I just don't, I just don't go there. If uh, if I find myself on a, a school of, of really small walleyes in deep water, I'll just go fish somewhere else. I just, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit there and pull in small fish all day and try to think that I'm letting them go when they're healthy. Yeah, I, it's. Uh... Yeah, I, I I I've wondered about that too because I I don't know when we took those crappies up and they were often small trying to let them go, they just kind of lay on the on the top of the hole, and they'd scoot down after a minute or two. But like you said, I don't know if they survived. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if there's actually been an official study on it. This is all just my you know gut reaction to. to I just know that I just know from open water fishing that you can't pull fish out of you know especially quickly you can't pull fish out of really deep water and expect them to live they don't they they you know if you're in a boat they float back to the surface so yeah. it's like okay this isn't working yeah I agree hey man I thank you for your time fascinating chatting with you we got to do this again it's fun oh uh, anytime I I love talking to you. Uh, and at the same time, anybody wants to stay in touch with me, get to fishingthewildside.net, got the newsletters, social media, and we'd love to get connected. There you go. Well, and enjoy your day, Chip, and uh, I think that Kevin Van Dam, I hope you write something about that, too, because Kevin Van Dam is probably the uh, world's foremost authority when it comes to anything finny and fishy. All right. Thanks. Thank you, guys, and good luck, everybody. That's Chip Lear. It's fun. Gosh, I got notes here. I gotta, I gotta jot them down before I forget. That's one of the things I have an issue with is forgetting. But anyway, it comes back eventually. So we gotta take a pause. We'll be back with Pat Micheletti's favorite, favorite guest of the week, maybe all time. You know who that is? Well, we'll find out next on Fan Outdoors. This is Fan Outdoors. Twenty-two minutes after the hour of seven o'clock. This morning I got up around 
435. One of the chores is to let the Britneys out into the backyard. Now, the backyard is fenced, but I let them out, and it's kind of funny. I turned the light on. Dark by then, by the way. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. When it's cold and the, those little dogs are trying to hold their feet up one at a time, well, the young one trying to get all four of them or at least three of them up at once and kept falling over it's it's really humorous but let's check our next guest because uh we're going to find out if he's trying to get his feet in the air too to keep him warm and that just might be the case because tackle terry tuma joins us now are your feet both up in the air terry Good morning, Bill, and good morning, everyone. No, they're sitting on the ice right above the hole, Bill. It's cold out here. It's, it's cold. cold here. Uh, the fan has learned, huh? Well, good for you. <laughs> but, it, uh, but, hey, if you don't go, you don't catch fish either, right, Bill? Well, that's true, but you do stay warm, buddy. Oh, yeah, you have to do that. We're, in fact, out here, uh, and we're going to head back, or I'm going to head back and get ready. We're heading to Mille tomorrow early morning. So. Oh, okay. Where are you up at now? Uh, I'm at a, a lake uh, near Mankato. It's a sort of a small lake, and I'm fishing for crappies and bluegills. Oh, okay. So it wasn't an overnight deal? No, no. I just got here. Just got set up. I got it. Okay. Uh, ice conditions have improved tremendously in the last two weeks, haven't they? Oh, they really have, Bill. Yes. Uh, I didn't even measure this morning, but it's got to be 15, 16, 17 inches at least. Yeah, I, I agree, and uh, I was checking, I called some bait shops around the state this last last week, actually yesterday and the day before, and it's surprising because most of the lakes have got drivable ice, but they're still cautioning people to be very careful and stay on roads and trails. Well, exactly right, and in fact, I just talked to Lightbacks uh, yesterday, and uh, Eddie was telling me about, you know, some of these people come in with big tandem uh, wheelhouses and three-quarter ton trucks and driving 15, 20 miles per hour. You just do not do that. And he said, especially this year, with uh, real uh, clear, which I never realized, Bill, but the real crystal clear ice can uh, actually, versus that sort of more of that milky ice, can actually shatter. So I guess we would compare that to like a window. Well, and it's been so cold and we've got so little ice or so little snow that yeah and i you know it's not rocket science and it's not some it's closely held secret that you need to drive slow but i i watched young people especially they have very little respect for ice and for the speed on the lake when they're out in the Chicago lakes area well, you're so correct, you know, and, uh, you know, one is, of course, the safety factor as far as driving out there, and then the other issue is what you're doing to your fellow anglers out there with, the, you know, with this kind of traffic, and I've seen it in the past, too, as I think most of our listeners have, where people go out there and driving 20, 30 miles per hour, and I still don't quite understand. One is that you cause wave action, that ice will bend, uh, but when it's uh, this clear, uh, many times it doesn't, then it'll sort of shatter. So uh, there's a lot of factors, and we just have to use common sense. Yeah, and, you know, if people would keep in mind that no ice is absolutely safe, and there is uh, good ice, and we're getting there now, but I think we still need to respect that and our fellow angler too, Terry. Um, well, you're right. And, you know, uh, Bill, we always say, well, with such cold weather, all ice is safe. As you mentioned, there's no ice that's really safe. But, you know, uh, like carp or 
buffalo or bullheads can come up uh, right underneath the ice and actually wear a hole in the ice. You can have spring conditions, uh, current conditions, uh, bull rushes. These are all issues uh, or aeration systems. These are all issues that we need to pay attention to. Terry, have you uh, have you started fishing, or you're just getting ready? I'm just really big. I just started, but a basic. I just got ready, just set up now. How deep of water are you in? I'm in 13 feet. I'm going to try it here for bluegills and just see what happens. And then, if uh, necessary, I move out to deeper water. I just want to do some checking here, uh, just to see what's happening on this specific body of water. With uh, with that, is that a body of water? Is that a lake that you've been on before? So you're somewhat familiar with the the bottom content, or are you using the mapping mapping uh, chips and and uh, GPS? No, I'm not. I've been out here a few times, Bill, uh, in the last two years, not very often. But it just uh, it doesn't have a lot of traffic on it, and I just want to do some checking out. It's a hard bottom area where I, I am right now, and uh, I just, I'm just very, very curious. I do know from past experience that we've caught some awfully nice bluegills and crappies out of here, but here again, too, it's going to be a way to be uh, seen. But there's not very many people fishing out here, so that's always a sign that maybe there's not a whole going on but you never know on this if you try it yourself no i agree terry and I, I i really i really cherish the times when i go out and i am alone because i i enjoy that an awful lot rather than having people come and set up right next to you or or uh, having be uh, having there be a lot of traffic and things on the ice because it seems like it gets tougher well, it really is. You know, the noise factor, the fishing pressure is, is no question. It does uh, affect your fishing success. And I do uh, agree with you 100%. It's nice to have that peace and quiet uh, out on a body water. And you tie in getting some fish. What else can you ask for? Well, we were out on Rush Lake about a week or so ago, and and there were some young men in a, a pop-up tent, and they were having a great time. Nothing wrong with that, but... As you can hear everything on the ice, and they had a couple of tip-ups out, and I don't think they had checked them for about an hour to an hour and a half, and one guy was had gone out to check his his tip-up, and the, the comments were kind of humorous because he was amazed that they were frozen all the way, and they had a couple inches of ice around them, and he needed to get something to get them out now. And I thought, man, where you been? I know. Yeah, in the, in the, and, yeah, when you're fishing with tip-ups, you need to, even though you've got some of the thermal tip-ups and so forth, you still need to check them, though, especially with this kind of weather. It only, you know, it doesn't take very long for those to freeze in, and then there you are chipping them out with a uh, chipper of some sort. One thing, if you're going to uh, cut the line, uh, then you got all that ice build up, so you got to take it inside and thaw it out. And, oh, yeah, those you have to constantly check. You should always be running out there with a dipper. Yeah. I agree, Terry, and it's probably, you know, you get down to 15 to 20 below. Nah, I don't know if it's worth it. I think I would just, uh, I'd stay inside warm and then do it. But that's just me, I guess. Well, not necessarily, Bill, because if you're using tip-up, you know, for pike, and you got this kind of extreme cold, it only takes a few minutes for it to freeze in. Uh, you're probably better off, honestly, if you're going to monitor it constantly. Uh, there are some heated tip-ups out uh, available today, but if you uh, don't monitor it constantly, it will freeze in. Yeah. And then, you know, if if that... Uh, 
uh, freezes in and you get a fish on, then what do you do? You know, then you're, you're going to have a gut hook pike or whatever it may be, and that you want to avoid. Uh, Terry, last question. What are you fishing with and what colors? I'm starting out, Bill, with uh, orange chartreuse, and I'm using um, uh, silver wigglers. I had some success for big crappie with wigglers this year, Bill, uh, which most people use minnows, and a real short rod with a spring bobber. I'm just anticipating a little bit of a tougher bite because of the weather conditions, and we'll just see sort of what happens today. How long will you stay before you move? Uh, probably not very long. Yeah, first, I, I have not marked very many fish at all, a couple only. And I'll just sort of play by ear, see what happens. I'm just going to wait for the sun to really uh, peek over the horizon, come up so it gets pretty bright, and see what that happens with the bluegills. Well, my friends, stay warm, and we'll catch up in a week. Sounds great. Everybody, enjoy the ice. Hey, it's good ice fishing weather, but be cautious. There you go. That's Tackle Terry, Pat Micheletti's favorite guest, and uh, he joins us every week. We'll take a pause, and we are going to go out and chat with a couple of bait shop owners or bait shop workers, either way, find out what's going on. First, we're going to go out to one of my uh, one of the places I like to frequent, and we'll jump out to Chisago and see what's going on at Frankie's Live Bait and Marine. Next, on Fan Outdoors, then we're going to talk, well, we're going to talk to uh, Denny or Kathy Fletcher. We were there last week. And I got some good news for you. Mm-hmm. You might want to listen to this if you like to catch walleyes. We'll be right back. This is Fan Outdoors. And each week we uh, we bump into it with this music because that's kind of what we're all about. And I don't anticipate in my lifetime that it will ever change. I know it hasn't changed in all these years. And I know there are other people that feel exactly the same way, thank goodness. In fact, our next guest, we're going to jump out to Frankie's Live Bait Marine where I fished Chisago Lake for a lot of years and had a blast most times out there, and that is really thanks to Frankie's Live Bait because uh, it's just a fun lake to go. And let's uh, check in with Rick Johnson, who works in the bait shop, and he's been there for a lot of years, and find out what's going on on the Chisago Lakes and the Chisago Lakes area. Rick, good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, you're very welcome. Thanks for coming on. What's uh, We've had two weeks of below zero weather, Rick. The ice has got to be setting up okay. 
it's uh, doing really well. It's actually 14 below right now, and uh, it's really setting up good. And we've plowed uh, every lake up there, and it's doing really good. What's the what's the bite like around? It's actually doing really well. Um, uh, like the Channel in Chisago, uh, South Lindstrom by the Dinner Bell, uh, North Center Nelson's Island, uh, you know, Green South End, Girl Scout Camp, uh, the Rocks, South Center Holtz Point, Needle Point. I mean, for some walleyes and stuff, it's doing real well. Panfish are in eight to twelve feet of water, and it's doing really good. Now, one of my favorite places to go, Rick, is around the uh, A-frame and the uh, Eagle's Eagle. Nest out there. Is that uh, is that holding fish this year? That's doing real well. That's probably, you know, if I had uh, to send somebody somewhere where they haven't caught a lot of fish or something, that's probably where I'd send them is the Eagle's Nest and the A-frame and in that south end down there and about 8 to 12 feet, been doing really good. Is the water clear enough that a guy can sight fish? Uh, it's so-so, not not the best, but, you know, with all the electronics and stuff and cameras and stuff out there, you want to find the weeds in about 8 to 12 feet of water, and um, it's been doing good. What's the uh, bait of choice, Rick? Um, right now, you know, a lot of people are using... You know, the tungsten jigs and stuff, uh, waxies, Euro larva. We, we have, uh, there, a lot of guys are using shiners. We're probably one of the only bait shops around that have a really good selection of, uh, golden shiners and stuff. We got larges and mediums, fatheads, crappies, suckers. I mean, uh, we're doing very well in the bait. We trap our bait and stuff. So we've been doing good. Excellent. So if people come by the bait shop, Rick, you're gonna, you've got a map that you can point them and, aim them in the right direction with the right stuff we will yeah we have you know everybody uh, up there they all we all fish and uh so and, and we're happy to point out people and you know show them where to go a lot of them have their own choices of lakes and stuff and but uh we'll put them on uh, <clears throat> to fish and stuff and and uh they'll have a good day excellent hey man thanks for letting us check in with you i appreciate it oh no problem anytime thank you you bet. That's Rick Johnson from Frankie's Live Bait and Marine. And one of my other favorite places to go will jump out. And we talked to uh, we talked to these folks last week. And when Rick mentioned the uh, Golden Shiners, well, most of them come and they're raised with these people because uh, they are they supply most of the Golden Shiners to the state of Minnesota. And I think we're probably going to talk with Denny of Denny Fletcher's or Fletcher's Live Bait up in the Sox Center area. And you've heard me talk about this a lot because, well, it's just a place that I like to be. And I'm going to be back up there sooner than later. And let's uh, let's go see what's going on and, and chat with Denny Fletcher. Denny, good morning, sir. Morning, Bill. How are you? Good. 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 Cold up there still? Yeah, one more day, and then it's supposed to moderate. Well, did you ever get that tank fixed up that you destroyed with the uh, ice and the really cold weather and the drain? Yeah, got it resolved. Good, good, good. Now, Rick uh, Johnson was mentioning the Golden Shiners. Those come from you, don't they? Uh, we've sold we've sold Frankie's Goldies in the past. I haven't sold him any of this winter, so he he's got he, he's probably trapped in some of his own, or he's found another outlet for them closer to home, maybe. Oh, okay, all right. Well, what's going on on Sock Lake? 
We have a fantastic walleye bite up here. It's uh, we got a lake, and it's a little bit unusual. We got a lake that's probably overpopulated with large, large walleyes. I'm talking <laughs> four to eight pound fish. They're just catching a bunch of them out here in this 30 feet of water in the upper two thirds of the lake. And you can see the shiner minnows or rainbows are both working. Uh, and they're catching a lot of fish, and they're catching some of these, you know, enough of the smaller eater size, that 15 to 19 inches, to to keep them happy. But uh, I'm almost encouraging people to maybe start taking a few of these bigger fish out of here. We know they're cannibalizing on the crappies and the small walleyes really bad, so I think we might have a little few, few too many big ones. But the bite is really good. If you want to, anybody out there that wants to catch a, one or two or three really nice big walleyes, Come on up because this is the biggest walleye bite I've seen in a long time. Ooh, Danny, and I'm I'm guessing that the lake is drivable now. Yes, we can drive the entire north side of the you know from the Narrows Bridge up to Diamond Point. There's six miles of lake, and we've got 16 to 18 inches of ice everywhere, and they're driving all over the place and bringing their houses out and bringing their kids out, and everybody's catching a few walleyes. Excellent, and uh, if they stop by the bait shop. Uh, you too have a map that you'll uh, you'll point them right out to them, won't you? Yeah, we can give them a map and give them a local local area map how to get to and Sock Lake map how to exactly where to fish on the lake, and we can put them in the right direction. I appreciate it, my friend. I will be seeing you sooner than later. Okay, talk to you later, Bill. Thank you bet. You. That's Denny Fletcher. He goes out after bait every single day. In fact, yesterday he was telling me when I called to set the uh, to be sure he was okay with talking to us. He and his grandson were out putting an aerator in one of his ponds because the weiss is getting so that they're concerned about it. And he said it takes a couple hours to put it in to get it in place. But uh, when you're out and it's this cold and you're dealing with water and opening ice up, it can be very, very chilly and i don't think any people really realize what some of these bait shops go through to get live bait for you so they uh they know of what they speak and it's a a really good idea too a couple of nuggets before we uh, turn it over to tucker and senecan in the zone uh the dnr roundtable took place yesterday and i was signed up for it and i was not able to go due to some um some things that I was committed to at home and uh, I did want to go because some of the topics that were discussed by the agency with the attendees at it were lower fish limits and specifically wondering if the fisheries that we have can sustain the high limits that we have notably the panfish of sunfish because they, I think, currently are, is it 20 or 15? I can't remember, but I haven't been fishing them yet, but I will find out. And also the walleye uh, bite that's going on, too, with people, perhaps they don't need all those fish. And perhaps that the fish haven't changed, but the technology and the number of anglers and the wheelhouses and the convenience of getting on the ice so you can stay warm now, that has changed. Uh, And that makes a big deal. The other thing discussed was the deer plan. And the deer plan that that, uh, is being put together and will be shared also as far as the number of deer. Now, one of the things that were asked of attendees in the northeastern part of the state was, would you support 
lowering the deer density to save the moose. And for those, and this is just me talking, it's my opinion, but for people who would not support lowering the deer density because they have determined, and it's true, that the deer tick, because it gets in to the brain of moose, and in a whitetail, it's not fatal. But in a moose, it is. It's always fatal. And if you're not willing to lower the deer densities based on usually hunting and limits and the regs, I think that's extremely unfortunate. If you're willing to sacrifice this moose population, what's left of it, and not be willing to help it sustain itself and perhaps grow because there are more deer than historically have been found. I think that's, that's a sad note for hunters to be guilty of because it's very, very selfish in that sense. So I, I think that that's kind of a, a bad deal. The Minnesota pheasant season is wound up on the 3rd of January. It's done now for this year. You can still get down to Iowa where the season is open for a few more days. Uh, you can head further south if you'd like into the Nebraska and some of those areas down there. It is still open. I have wound up my season and transitioned, as I mentioned before, over to ice fishing. And we talked a little bit about getting ready to go. If you're getting ready to go out on the ice, and there's a lot of people that are just flat, get in the truck and go. I can't do that. i got to have everything ready to rock and roll. I want my electronics, my Humminbird electronics, to be charged batteries to be charged. I want to be sure that the lines and my rods are are good and not tangled up. I want to also, when I go, I want to have something to snack on when I get out there and, and uh, some beverages. It doesn't have to be alcohol, just something to drink. Oftentimes now this cold, hot coffee or hot chocolate are awesome to have in the house with you. I also want to know where things are. I I made a mistake a while ago when we went out to uh, Rush Lake, first trip out there, and I just took my sh- my shack, my clam portable out of the rafter and uh, put it in the truck and went out there, and I thought everything was good. Well, I had screws that were loose, and I had way too much stuff in there, and I remember Eric and Chad saying, well, how many have you got? Because they were in a house just a little bit away from me in Eric's house, and I said, well, I'm not fishing yet. I'm dicking with this and playing with that and trying to straighten out the other rest of it. So get yourself all tuned in and and know where you're going to go and know what you're going to do. And you don't need a pile of gear. I learned that. And I've, it's not like it's something brand new that I just had to relearn, but I'd forgotten and I was guilty of taking stuff out of the boat and just transferring it over and really don't need to do that. Um, not necessary at all. And coming up in not too long will be Pheasant Fest, which is in the Sioux Falls area. Do check out pheasantsforever.org and get all geared up for that because it's not that far away. And if you're a bird hunter, if you've got dogs, you'd like to go. And it's not just for pheasant hunters. It's for you know, it, it, Chad's girlfriend and mom and dad came over to pheasant fest when it was in the twin cities last year and had a blast 
there's lots of stuff going on. There's cooking going on. There's lots of different activities and of interest. And you're surrounded by like-minded people. And if you do have dogs, whether they be water dogs, bird dogs, pointers, retrievers, flushers, one of the highlights that I enjoy each time I go is the panel of trainers, uh, world-renowned trainers, the best of the best, come together and have a panel discussion. Tom Dock and um, he and uh, you know, a number of the other guys are there, and, and you get to talk with them one-on-one, and it's fascinating. So make plans now to attend. And if you're speaking of attending, if you're going to go down, just a reminder that the January 6th, today, a special deer hunt is opening up, and it's taking place as we speak, and it'll run through the 14th. But it's a special hunt down in the chronic wasting disease zone in southeastern Minnesota. And you can go to the DNR website, and they've uh, got a map down there for you to follow, telling you where it is. Now, it's mostly private land. But uh, if you have access to some of that private land, you have permission to get on it, it can be, uh, it can be a, a, a fun time. And it serves a real purpose, too, because chronic wasting disease is something that can absolutely decimate our deer herd if it gets caught on and it gets traveling through the herd because it's 100% of the time fatal in the deer, and it's spread by something called prions. And it's just a wild protein, but it, uh, it's always 100% of the time, like I said, fatal to the deer. And now what they're asking you to do is you cannot take the carcass. If you live here in the cities, you can't remove the carcass from the CWD zone. You have to quarter your deer down there, um, take the, the legs and shoulders off, take the hindquarters off, take the, the uh, back straps off. And there's a place down there with tables and dumpster that you can get rid of them. But all the deer that you get have to be tested, and they'll uh, they'll notify you whether it was uh, diseased or not. And if it is diseased, you probably think twice about eating it. So freeze the meat up and just don't consume it until you get the word back. And it's going to take a while to get that because there's so many states and so many people testing for chronic wasting disease that the kits have run out and it takes a little bit longer than the three to five business days that they wanted it can sometimes take up to two weeks for the results to come back so keep that in mind licenses if you have any unused tag it can be used down in the disease zone or you can buy your own tags over the counter you can buy a disease management tag for two dollars and fifty cents so it's uh, a good deal, and you're doing a good thing. Music's playing, which means we got to duck out of here. We'll be back for a Thursday show this week, and looking forward to that. I want to say thank you to Scott Siebert for joining us, to Mr. Chip Lear for joining us, to Tackle, to Rick Johnson and Denny Fletcher for sharing with us some information. Thank you for allowing us to travel with you this morning if you're on the ice stay warm and be careful good luck too okay uh for tony landry our producer i'm billy hildebrand wishing you a fabulous weekend and all i can say is vikes let's do it for good this time find out who we're playing take care everyone bye now This is Fan Outdoors.